This is a sermon podcast from Bellevue First United Methodist Church in Bellevue, Washington. Visit us online at fumcbellevue.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Bellevue United, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. So for the, for the next couple of weeks, up until the first week of September or so, uh, we're going to be looking at a section of the Bible that shows up in Matthew chapter 5, and it's often simply referred to as the Beatitudes. All right, are we familiar with this? Okay. The, the, the Beatitudes are a series of blessings, just quick, fire-away blessings that take place in the context of something that we also refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. We're also familiar with that. Um, there's this section in the Gospel of Matthew, which is just a, a, a biography of the life of Jesus, um, where Jesus basically has his own, like, TED Talk, right? Do you know what I'm talking about, a TED Talk, right? Um, it, it's kind of what he does, and everyone knows that this, oh, Jesus is about to teach. Um, the Sermon on the Mount is one of the, the single greatest places for reference to Jesus' teachings. It is, it is dense. It is pretty um, broad. It covers a lot of different topics. Um, there's sections of this teaching that show up in the Gospel of Luke, as well as in other areas in the New Testament, as well as references to things that are in the Old Testament. But if you're looking for a place to consider what Jesus is about, this is it. Nowhere else is it more on display than in this Sermon on the Mount. And I would argue that specifically in this beginning, in the Beatitudes, the tone is set clearly for what ought to follow or, or what will follow. I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, but uh, again, so uh, TED Talks. Who's, who's familiar with the TED Talks again? Raise your hand. That's amazing. This is absolutely amazing. Uh, I, did, I did not think that we'd be familiar with TED Talks. Um, I, how, did you, how did you know what it, like, uh, does anyone remember like a TED Talk that you saw? Like, what's one that stood out to you? How to tie your shoes? That doesn't sound like it. That actually really sounds like a TED Talk, actually, right? A lady in a wheelchair was scuba diving. A lady in a wheelchair was scuba diving. That's amazing. Any others? Ah, the, the, oh yes, the Brene Brown one. Has anyone else seen the Brene Brown? It's what, do you remember Dare to Be? Or, or uh, it's about vulnerability. Yeah. Any other TED Talks you've seen? That's the one I was waiting for. <laughs> there's, there's one that uh, I actually just saw this morning because I'm a, I'm a CB, I'm a, like a devout CBS Sunday morning uh, watcher. Um, yeah, um, from a woman named Susan Cain, who did a TED Talk about the secret power of introverts, uh, about, you know, a, a quiet revolution happening. Um, also, I apologize for maybe like the two or three people here that don't know what TED Talks are, because it really sounds like this guy named Ted just like really loves to speak. Um, you know, TED Talks were invented in 1984 out of Silicon Valley by a guy named Richard Worman who looked around and realized that in 1984, which uh, you may have heard me say a couple of times before, is really when the world changed. 1984. 
um, the way that businesses operated, the way, the way Abby Eagleson was born in 1984, the world changed. <laughs> Welcome. Um, Apple Computers uh, dropped its, its, its first computer in 1984 and simply said, like, things are going to be different. And, and that has proved to be true. Um, coincidentally, out of Silicon Valley, I mean, a lot of changes that have happened in our culture and our world have kind of started in that kind of uh, fertile crescent of, of the country. Um, what Richard Werman noticed in 1984 was that every conference, every person that was trying to give platitudes or wisdom or try to change the world did it in exactly the same way. And there's an interview um, where he says, you know, in 1984, every conference was a wealthy white man wearing a finely cleaned tuxedo or suit sitting at a panel with other white men talking very plainly and boringly with slides and presentations and the world continued to creep on, right? And he said, certainly we can do better than that. And so TED Talks began. He fancied it when it uh, first started as the world's greatest dinner party uh, with himself as the host, um, which is what he said. Um, TED Talks um, kind of caught on a little bit, but it wasn't until the early 2000s when a publisher, uh, kind of a, a person who was familiar with getting content out to masses of people named Chris Anderson came and said, it's too, it's too chaotic and people don't know what to expect. Every TED Talk is different from the other. It doesn't mean we have to talk about the same thing, but it, it really felt like a, a, a collection of disconnected pieces rather than a diversity within a single theme. And so the TED Talks that we know of were born. They decided that these have to be ideas that are not lectures, but are invitations to transformation. If you've ever seen a TED Talk, you know that that is the central goal. Many TED Talks kind of begin with this gusto, with this energy, with this zeal, that we will settle for nothing less in our time together than absolute transformation. Do you know what I mean? It's almost as if they say, like, listen, we all know that the world is screwed up. We all arrive here with all these concerns, all these fears. Let's not settle for leaving this place unchanged. Does that sound familiar to you? TED Talks really hit their stride in the last 10 years when they decided that it was still something that was um, a luxury for the privileged. It cost $6,000 to attend the annual TED Talk conference in Vancouver. That's a little pricey for my pastoral expense account. Um, and so what they did was they created something called TEDx, which was just free. It was this idea that, listen, if anyone else around the world is interested in transformation as, as human beings, then do a TEDx conference. And what they saw after this was that people were actually interested in seeing the most mundane, ordinary, and frustrating parts of their life transformed. And so TEDx kind of created this network where anyone can do a series of TED Talks as long as they follow some pretty basic principles. And you might actually know what some of these principles are. You think about it. Um, you have to be up on a stage somewhere without any other distractions. 
right? You, know, you recognize this from TED Talks, right? There's not like a massive backdrop. There's no like band that introduces the main speaker. What happens when the TED Talk person comes out? It's all quiet. Do a quick, do a quick like a, a round of... Two gorillas <laughs> found themselves in a rainforest. This is actually isn't going anywhere, but that's how every TED Talk starts, right? What's, remarka uh, what's remarkable about it, though, is that if these different talks hold to these simple practices of being about transformation, not a lecture, about trying to keep your central attention focused, not distracted, we're not trying to sneak anything past you. This is it. This is the conversation right here. It's subverting the way that the rest of our world works. Did you catch that? If you had a TV show where just a single person came out and just talked like that, we would not tune in. That's not how our viewing patterns would lead us to believe we watch television or movies. That, that doesn't work. And yet for this, because of transformation, we feel like, okay, okay, I know what to expect here. You see, what, what the TED Talk creators discovered is that any one of us could be on Facebook or on the internet, and you could see just those words, TED Talk, and you immediately know this is an idea worth sharing. S someone shared this, and if someone shared it, I ought to give it the time to, to listen to it, to observe it. Just by even some of those simple setups, you know that what is going to follow is not going to be a lecture. It's not meant to be used as a, okay, let's, let's go back and reference what the TED Talk speaker said to us legally about how we ought to go scuba diving. No, that misses the point entirely. It's about inspiration. It's about utter and complete transformation of the way that we see the world. And how do you know that? simply because of some basic setups when it begins. Oh, this is a TED Talk. All right. Let's see how things change for me. I, I mention this because one of the things that we often are completely unaware of when it comes to the life and the teachings of Jesus is that Jesus came out of a very well-known religious practice Jesus was a teacher. Sometimes this is called, uh, in the fancy phrases, the Sophia Perennis, the, the perennial wisdom. At the time, it would have simply been called the sacred wisdom. It was this idea that this is a teacher who is not content with just shelling out lectures, saying, this is how you should shave your beard. This is how you should break bread together. This is how you should handle an argument in your family. The sacred wisdom teachings were about the orientation of the entire universe. The way that you were going to orient the, how you see the world. Jesus came in a long line of teachers. Jewish teachers, rabbis from a specific school. And there are some specific things that would have happened in this great Sermon on the Mount that would have cued in all of the participants, the observers, in a way that we might actually miss the context. Uh, let, me, let me read this for you. Uh, this is the 
uh, beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the the Beatitudes. Um, I'm just going to read this beginning for you. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up. And after, he then sat down. Once he sat down, his disciples, there's right there a huge hint that this is a teacher with dedicated uh, pupils, prodigies, people following him for training. When he sat down, his, dis- his disciples then came to him. And then he began to speak and taught them, saying, and then we get into the Beatitudes. Now, even in this single section, just two lines. Those familiar with this story in first century Israel would have gone, that's a TED talk about to happen. Note the setup. When Jesus saw that the crowds had arrived, one of the, one of the facets of sacred wisdom teaching was that it wasn't like a, a small side business. You wouldn't like go around and do like teaching like me and you. I'll give you my lecture and then I'll, I'll you know, out, out, you know, sell my services and I'll go to make house calls and do teachings. No, no, no. They found that the sacred wisdom conversations were most revolutionary, most radical when they happened in large groups of people. TED Talk, right? We're, we're better together. What happens at the TED Talk is not the last word on something, but actually the first word. And one of the reasons that's so revolutionary is that when the TED Talk happens and the person delivers the first words, it's to a diverse group of people who then take it and continue to speak their own words. And that doesn't happen if it's just three people. The crowds had to bring their own life, their own narrative, their own story into it. And so anytime you see these crowds moving toward a teacher... There's this sign that like, ooh, ooh, is there a TED Talk about to happen? Then note what happens. So Jesus sees the crowds, and then he went up to the mountain, took the center stage. Of course, uh, any good Jew would have noticed the similarities between this and Moses numerous times, going up to the mountain in order to be present to something that will change the way that our life is being oriented. Moses wasn't invited up to the mountain for just regular checkups with God. It was to say, okay, let's let's change things. When you go back down the mountain, let's do this differently. So Jesus went up to the mountain. And once he went up to the mountain, he then what? sat down. Ah, interesting dynamic. This is how you really know that TED Talk's about to start. This is going to make me sound really horrible, but uh, Jesus didn't walk around and preach like this. (laughs) Uh, Boy, I'm throwing myself under the bus here. Um, Thanks. Uh, That's what the Pharisees did. You stood up. It's a position of power. That's what it was. It was a position of power in that day. You sit down, I'll stand up. That's how I know that you're going to listen to me. But not in the sacred wisdom. 
What does the sacred wisdom do? It says, I'm going to invite you to stand up, to be attentive, to physically say like, what is going on here? I'm, I'm ready to receive it. I'm ready to hold it. I'm ready to be a part of it. I'm ready to be in it. And the teacher then, as a way of flipping the order of the world, sits down. And actually the truth is, you can just imagine like how simple this might have actually looked. I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen videos of Indian gurus. But G- Jesus was certainly a teacher from, from the Far East. And even in this dynamic, note how interesting it feels. Hmm, something's going on here. So Jesus saw the crowds, went up to the mountain, and then sat down. And once he had sat down, then it cued to the disciples, come into the auditorium, come into the sanctuary, the TED Talk starting, someone flashes the lights. And then he begins to teach them, saying, and then the Beatitudes. When I, when I looked at this text, I was struck by the fact that the more I focused on how that sermon begins, the more I could almost entirely anticipate what the actual Beatitudes are without actually having read them. It's almost as if in this text where it says, uh, he went up and then he began to speak and taught them, saying, blessed are those who are... The truth is, is that at this point, if you were familiar with the sacred wisdom tradition, the saying, you would have pretty much been aware of. Like, oh, what he's about to say is not going to be a lecture. Remember, TED Talk. It's going to be an inspiration. It's going to be something that is inviting me to change fundamentally how I'm living my life, how I'm seeing the world, how I'm orienting myself, what my heart cares about, what my consciousness is aware of. This will settle for nothing less than transformation. And so when this sermon begins and says, Jesus began a sacred wisdom TED Talk and then said, almost anyone could have stopped the story right there and said, transformation, that's what we know it's about. It's about transformation. I say all of that because many of us, myself included, have settled for everything less than that when it comes to this sacred teaching. We have made them into platitudes, into happy little proverbial statements that we say when we're feeling sad and beaten down. Oh, blessed are the poor in spirit. I confess numerous times I've been the officiant at a, uh, at a funeral and I myself have said, blessed are those who mourn. They'll be comforted. And yet the truth is, is that most of us know that's just simply not true. People go uncomforted. Pe- people go uncomforted. This is not a lecture. Jesus is not saying, blessed are those who mourn because we all know that at the end of the day you'll feel comfortable and happy and calm again. No. 
no, this is not a lecture. This is a teaching of the sacred wisdom that's saying we all know this is not the way that the world currently works. So let's change things. Let's start to redefine what it actually means to be blessed. That word blessed is at the core of these teachings on the Beatitudes. And the truth is, and it, 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 it boggles my mind how this is the case, um, but many English translations of the Bible actually translate those opening words of the Beatitudes happy. That's just simply not true. Um, for starters, that's just not the right word. In Greek, it's a completely different word. The word that's used here in Greek simply means blessed. It's a part of the ancient Jewish spiritual practice to offer a blessing to someone. That is not the same as saying like, we all know you're happy when you're grieving. To say, to utter the word blessing, or in Latin, beati, which is how we end up getting the beatitudes, to say a blessing like that is to both allow room for this to be not true and not yet true. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the downtrodden. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who have an unquenched hunger and thirst for righteousness. Finally, we know that's not true. Many of us hunger and thirst for righteousness to happen, for peace, for what seems true and ethical and good and virtuous for all people. We see that not happening. Children are separated from families. People all across our country are currently being detained in the name of civility, justice even. This teaching, this sacred wisdom teaching would ask us to consider what might actually happen if we took some of these things to be not true, but also not yet true. Again, anyone who heard this would have understood that this is not a lecture. We're not supposed to walk away with this and be like, got it, we've got this whole Christianity thing figured out. They would have seen it as a life-altering challenge that we have to awaken ourselves to. Which leads me to my final question, the title of my sermon. Oh, don't try this at home. Don't, oh, then what are you thinking? If you try this at home, it, it, it will likely change things radically for you. Much easier for it to be a platitude. Get in an argument with your family member, they start mourning, and you say, ah, blessed are those who mourn. That misses the point, though. Don't try this at home. If you do, if you really do, it may very well start to tap in to the tradition that birthed this in the first place, the sacred wisdom of all people in all times, that this doesn't have to be the way it is. It will settle for nothing less than absolute transformation of the relationships that we have with our family members. We know that there are fractured and severed relationships in our own families. And this teaching is going to invite us to stand right at the threshold of that conversation and prepare for transformation.
And it may very well not make us happy. But it may also be a part of a blessing, which is a life-altering word beginning to speak. I'll, I'll end with this. This is a great quote from G.K. Chesterton. It's like guru of, uh, of um, I don't even know how to describe this. <laughs> um, of, a guru of, orth- of Christian orthodoxy, I'll say that. G.K. Chesterton. Uh, and this quote from Chesterton simply goes like this. Thinking about Christianity, specifically after World War II, in which Christianity was often used to cite practices that happened in World War II on both sides. Chesterton simply responded, Christianity isn't a failure. That's what everyone thought. Christianity is a failure. If, If Christianity had worked, we would have avoided all this. And Chesterton responds, Christianity isn't a failure. It just hasn't been tried yet. Don't try this at home. If you do, the TED Talk's about to begin. It will entrance you. It'll inspire you. It'll challenge you. It'll frustrate you. It'll move you. It'll settle for nothing less than transformation. If you don't want to be transformed, that's fine. If you do want to be transformed, if you do want to see things in your life and the world around you change in the name of a deeper, more true love and union and abiding peace. Well, then let's keep reading the story together. Yeah? That's what we'll do for the next two months. I'd love for you to join me in that process. Otherwise, I'm just going to be sitting down here by myself. This is the journey that we're heading on. And I'd invite you Consider what you're expecting in this. Transformation? Or will we settle for something less?